1: Hey everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here as always with Sarah Powers. Hey Sarah. Hey Megan.
0: Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor, Factor.
1: Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart protein plus and keto. Plus they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long.
0: So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals and Katie loved the herb crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one too. And get this. So did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right?
1: I was going to say, what a parenting win. <laughs> and I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box,
0: Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning. And every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out.
1: Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, now we're going to veer frantically away of deep breath. We're veering away (laughs) from fashion and we're going to talk about something, um, that I, up until last week had not really ever written about on my blog. Um, and that is race and how to talk about race with our kids. And also, Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we might be able to expand this conversation to include all kinds of differences. Although I think Mm -hmm. we're going to focus on race and racism this Mm -hmm. week. Um, it's the kind of thing where, You know we feel awkward talking to our kids about things we don't feel qualified and that Mm -hmm. was the thing that sarah and i both said when we you know obviously in light of what happened in charleston Mm -hmm. um last week uh, well now it'll have been two weeks when this show comes out um, with those terrible shootings we don't feel qualified to talk about something so we don't talk about it and the the problem then is that i think that um, what i was seeing with my friends of color on facebook was this Mm -hmm. frustration with them having to have be the only ones yeah. talking about carrying like that costs. burden. Yeah, carrying yeah. that burden. And it's not fair. And it's also not helpful. Because, you know, fact is I live in a very white community. And so no matter how hard I try to kind of um to expose my kids to more diversity and more voices, mm-hmm. they're primarily hearing from other white people. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there just needs to be more effort made. Yeah. Um in discussing all this stuff. So I'll start with talking about the posts that I wrote. Yeah. And I wrote it for the happiest home, um, earlier, I guess earlier this week, last Mm -hmm. week when this comes out and I wrote it because I was so frustrated with what I felt like was denial of reality going on Mm -hmm. from people that I knew, you know, I was, I was following it pretty closely on Facebook and I hadn't really said much, um, besides sharing some links here and there on Facebook, um, all the aftermath. And I was seeing people that I knew and thought, you know, and, and, respected, Basically denying that racism is a thing in 2015. Right. And you know, I think that it's very easy for us when we're in a position of not having to deal with it to not see things. So because Mm -hmm. I don't see um, people being actively discriminated against, it's easy for me to just kind of deny that that's happening. But if we look. And I think what it really was for me is I looked around and I said, look at what my black friends are trying to tell me over mm-hmm. and over and over. Mm-hmm. Who am I to deny right. that that is their experience? Right. Um, right. If so, if a group of people keeps telling you this is how it right. is, right. I feel like it's just reasonable to right. believe that that is how it is. So I started thinking about all the times when in my life, and I grew up in, a very, in rural Michigan, um, which can be very... Kind of rednecky is probably the best way to put it. Although I, I know, can be kind of offensive too. But it's just very, it's very rural. It's very mm-hmm. country. It's mm-hmm. very, you know. Um, and so I grew up with like really casual racism going on all around me to the point where I almost didn't notice it. You know, it mm-hmm. just became um, part of. You
0: or you know, kind of like that. excuse it as you, you know ex- a generational yeah, thing. Exactly. A,
1: exactly. Yeah. I would just kind of see it and be like, or or I would think, oh, they didn't mean it that way, or you know. But then, as I got older, it was still going on around me—not mm-hmm. to the same degree—but um, definitely, it was—it's out there. And and like I said, the community I live in now is very white, and we happen to border, literally divided by a river, um, a town that is almost completely black. So we're like ninety—I think wow. ninety percent white, and Benton Harbor, which is right across the river, is I think ninety-two or ninety-three percent black. So wow. and it's so it's completely divided. Like we're completely segregated, mm-hmm. and. When we moved here, I did hear people making comments about like people over the river, and you know, I would, it would always take me aback and kind Mm -hmm. of surprise me, but I didn't speak up as many times Mm -hmm. as I should have. And often it's because you don't know what to say, you Mm -hmm. don't want to make waves, um, you aren't really sure if you understand. Like I would do that excusing Mm -hmm. thing and think, oh, did I? Or you think about it later, and you think about it later. That was messed up. but I didn't say anything. So anyway, that was the gist of my post. Was that Mm I owe that not just to you know, the people who are my friends, who that would, who, and who are just human beings, who that would affect, but also to my kids, because if they don't hear me take a stand, then they won't grow up knowing that they have. Well, and I think
0: you said the title of the post was racism begins and ends in the home Mm -hmm. and that you're, you know, kind of starting with your place in the home and taking a more active role in calling out racism, identifying it, putting, putting words to, you know, and, and that your kids then have the benefit of having that be something that is talked about, whether it's awkwardly talked about, whether, you know, (laughs) it's just better than nothing. Uh, You know, I think that's what's come out of a lot of this is that silence, people are getting over it with the silence, that silence is not helpful. And if anything, it is destructive. Yeah. So that not saying something is no longer A viable option
1: no it's not and and i think after a while it becomes almost like willful uh, willful ignorance you know it's Mm -hmm. like how much can we bury our heads in the sand about what's going on and and maybe it doesn't need to take a huge tragedy or news story Mm -hmm. for these kinds of things to start being discussed and i think what made this i think what made this charleston shooting that safe place is that mm-hmm. there's no ambiguity. I mean, there's, right. n- there's nothing yeah. there's no, it's not like this is contested in any way. There's no court case right. that's going to show right. that this guy is, you know, not, it's black and white yeah. to use, yeah. you know, not to be punny, yeah. but it's completely clear. And I think that there was so much like with the Ferguson case, even mm-hmm. though a lot of us were watching it and were horrified, there was still that sense of like, but if I step into this and I don't mm-hmm. really know what I'm talking about, I'm going to be, you know, shut down and then it's not going to help. Like it's not. Yeah, that's a really good point. It
0: probably it probably made some people who were more silent during some of those other incidents, especially on social media, just feel like like you said, like there's 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 no ifs, ands or buts about this. And maybe that sort of emboldened them to speak up. The other thing that I feel like with social media and this is that I have a really hard time And this may just be me, but um, using like the same space that I make a snarky comment about motherhood or post a cute picture of my kid, and somehow it feels like then I'm trying to give the same space and weight to something that is so complex Mm -hmm. and important. And so that, like one of the reasons I at least choose Facebook to be pretty silent or I have is that it almost feels disrespectful to to make a quip about it or share a link in the same 10 second like space that i give to very trivial things like sharing a funny article from whatever yeah. website does that make sense so totally and i don't sense. i don't know that that's actually the the right thing because i think like we're talking about saying something and sharing you know is is making a statement that this is important enough to be talked about. So I, I am not even sure that that's the right response, but that's one of the reasons I struggle with being vocal online is that feels like, wait, this is like this mashup of all these different things being said. And I'm not sure it almost feels like irreverent. Does that, yeah, no,
1: it totally makes sense. And I, I, I hear where you are with that. I, that's how I really used to be about Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I've noticed is when I really look at the people whose voices I really respect Mm -hmm. who are out there on social media, Mm -hmm. they are all over there. I mean, it is a mashup because it's not just like, you know, you don't just read Buzzfeed all day or the New York times all day, Right. you know, you you mix it up. And I think we all do that. And this is the space. This is like the playground, the sandbox Mm -hmm. now where Mm -hmm. we, where we can all do that. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think, I I hear what you're saying. I hear your hesitation. I Mm -hmm. think all it takes is really wading into something. And Mm -hmm. that's something I've done a lot over the last year. I had a friend who was like, man, you just keep stepping in it on Facebook. Like you just keep getting (laughs) in there. And I was like, I just got tired of not saying things. Like I just got tired of letting something, you know, some kind of BS Mm -hmm. fly. And there've been times that I've gotten, you know, really waded into stuff and have kind of had to battle it out. And then have had to back off and say, okay, this isn't good for my mental health. (laughs) Well, I've talked to you before about choosing your battles. Like, I've gotten in huge online fights about reclining your airline seat and things like that, and that's not worth it. But something like this is worth it, and it I'm willing to go, you know, I'm willing to- And the truth is that the
0: platform it. has evolved a lot, and there are yes. so many really wise and intelligent people using Facebook to share good information, and it is no longer the place where you talk about what you had for lunch, but there's, something, there's some of that still going on.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So I don't, I think, I'm just sort of like- explaining my inner Yeah, no, I get and I don't it. even think that's really the right response, but yeah. Yeah, no,
1: I get it. I get it. I think that the way to get past that is just to start. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just sharing that article and and saying I agree with this or something yeah. like that and then yeah. you, know, you weighed in a little a little more deeply. And you yeah. can have that. I mean, I think that you can be all different things. Just like okay, like you are with your friends. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you're funny and sometimes, you know, totally. it's silly and sometimes you guys discuss more serious things. Or on the blog. I mean, I think it was great and
0: brave of you and really important to write that post. And the next day it might be like five tips for, you know, making a hard boiled egg or something, you know, it's, and that's not, we don't have to, we don't have to commit to, and and maybe that maybe this is a bigger point too, that having the conversation is acknowledging that racism is a part of everyday life. So is parenting. So is, Managing your home, yeah. and that maybe by sort of cloistering it as this topic that's too big to be addressed, you know, really does a disservice.
1: It does. And also, I think then what ends up happening is people wait for something terrible to happen. Right. Yeah. That's before, such a point. And then we all have to reactively talk about something that we could and should have been all along. So Absolutely. let's talk about how that looks in our home. And so I'll, I'll kind of give like the background um, and I said something in the post. So, um, my sister's kids are all biracial. And mm-hmm. so my kids have grown up with black cousins. Um, mm-hmm. and so I guess I kind of always, and some of them have lived in our house and my nephew currently lives with us. And I, I think that I, in some way kind of felt like, and I think I jokingly said, like that gets us a, you know, get out of talking about racism right. hard or something because my kids have always easily made friends with kids of other backgrounds and colors. And, and that's something that they've just on their own. I mean, they've sought right. them out, and I was right. always kind of proud of that because it kind of, to me, spoke to the fact that they were comfortable around all different mm-hmm. kinds of people. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't, I mean, that that doesn't get me off right. the hook. <laughs> so right. here's an example of a kind of conversation that I've heard my kids having lately. Um, we're sitting at the dinner table, and this speaks so well to something that you mentioned, Sarah, in our emails when we were talking um, about doing this show. So I'll let you jump on it after yeah. I get it. Um, we we're talking, and I think William said something like you know, I don't remember now, pass me the beans and William or and Owen said, which ones? And he said, the black beans. And Owen goes, Oh, that's racist. So they're kind of like at this point, we're saying black, mm-hmm. you know, they're joking that that's racist. And I remember saying, you guys, that's not what racism is. Like, let's talk about what it is. It doesn't mean you can never use right. a word. Right. <laughs> and it also wouldn't mean you couldn't say, you know, who's that kid in my class. And if the most obvious thing about that kid is right. that he's black or Indian, right. Then you know, or, or Native American, different right. than Indian, or, um, you know, or so whatever, if that's the most obvious, uh, descriptor, that's not racist either, Right. but it right. would be racist to bring it up in a way that's not relevant. And or so I was to, trying to, right. or to use it, you know, as like, yeah, so like this, you know, black kid pushed me on the playground. That's, and I was trying to explain like why the difference and they're right. just blankly looking at me. Right. <laughs> like, they totally just didn't get it. Like they right. were just staring at me and I. I tried like six different examples and they're still, I have smart kids, right. but they just kind of looked at me like, what is she talking about? So I'm hopeful if I just keep, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like you, you said something yeah. about like not wanting to talk about differences right. and how like we just don't then because it's awkward and right. then it starts and to feel like if you mention it, it's a problem. Yes, absolutely. Well,
0: um, so one of the things in preparation for this conversation was I remembered the chapter in the book, Nurture Shock, which was a really popular parenting book, like I don't know, 2009, I think it came out. And um, the chapter is called why white parents don't talk to their kids about race or something, why white parents don't talk about race. Um, And we'll link to the book, of course, but there's a couple, uh, they did a ton of studies. And the, the two main reasons why they found that white parents don't talk to their kids about race is that one, they assume kids are colorblind, right? So this kind of, we have this idea that, well, if I don't Point out the differences, and the kids—they'll never know. (laughs) They'll never know the difference. But anyone who's been around a preschooler knows that that they—that is—they're hardwired to categorize, right? They're hardwired, you know. Remember, like the Sesame Street song, "One of these things is not like the other." I mean, little kids, especially—that's developmentally—that's their job. It's to sort the world into things that go together and things that don't, and to figure out where in those categories they fit. So there's fascinating science in the book about how little kids will always they will always not only find a group to identify with, but they will always then assume that all of the members of that group are good. And then members of a separate group are not good, not just by race, but you know they've done studies about you know giving them all the different color t-shirts and all those kind of like social science studies. But that's little kids are hardwired for that. So the the idea that colorblindness that if we don't bring it up they won't notice is it is scientifically untrue. And, um, and also
1: just common sense. It tells is. Us but you can that kind that, of see yeah. how that
0: maybe would have developed. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, colorblind is sort of this like heartwarming. It you sounds know, really word nice. And I kind of remember
1: that being a thing in the eighties, like right yeah. when like the self-esteem movement was really right. taking off. It was kind of around right. that time, like we're all just one people and we're all the same. And, and we are, but we're not. Right. So, so I think yeah.
0: going back to what you said is what I, what I mentioned in my email is that little kids, I mean, younger than your two boys, you know, I think we've all had that moment where they make some really embarrassing remark in public, yes. maybe about race Maybe not, right?
1: Um, so maybe somebody's I, size or, or stature right. or yeah, yes, or something that disability that they look or something. About like them that. Or yeah, two
0: yeah. you know two men holding hands walking yeah. down the street or whatever it is, they will call it out loudly. Yes,
1: and our very first loudly. instinct,
0: of course, out of embarrassment and 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 a feeling of wanting to be sensitive, maybe, is to shush them. And I yeah. think something that I feel like I've tried to do early on is not let the embarrassment then squelch the bigger need for discussion. So I guess to me, like a small amount of embarrassment is worth it if it can then be kind of a teaching, a teachable moment. So, yeah. um, you know, if they say something about race and say that person is, you know, has walked out of the room or whatever, the embarrassment is past, It's a great time to be like, you're right. You know, we don't see a lot of people whose skin looks like that. You know, right. what, you know, I don't know. Um, so I think not, not letting the not letting kids pointing out differences be um, not jumping right to oh my gosh my kid is racist does that make right. sense
1: yes or like I need to squelch this or yeah totally, totally. yeah like kind of going right to the
0: panic um, I okay so I do have do you have, I have a preschool story along those lines if uh, yeah. if now it's a good time if you don't okay so um, my preschooler came home and said I don't want to play with this little girl because she has brown skin. I mean, that was flat out, like, right. she, just, no,
1: she just laid yeah. it right out for you.
0: So the, pa- the instinct is to panic and be like, wait, what have I, you know, what have what I have done? I really done? Yes. Them? So yes. I think the way we unpacked it or the way I tried to is by asking a lot of questions. And that is like, okay, so what, you know, are you, do you feel shy around this person because they look different? Because that's normal. Mommy feels shy sometimes if I don't know if I'm new to a situation, and then introducing things like, okay, well, her skin looks kind of like our doctor's skin. I think her background is Indian, and our doctor is Indian, and you love our doctor, right? You know, so instead of chastising them and going right to like, oh my gosh, I have a racist child, trying to get to, because they don't have a lot of ways to talk about what they're feeling, right? And she did. She came home and said, I don't want to play this this person because she has brown skin.
1: And she just gave you a huge gift because she just like laid it right out there for you. Right. So
0: instead of, um, and this is something they talk about in Nurture Shock too, is that another way especially white parents tend to talk about race is to be really vague. So oh honey, all people are equal or it doesn't matter what color your skin is. Um, That idea of saying we're all equal they had an anecdote in there about this little boy who after months of his parents talking about that, he goes, Hey mom, what does equal mean? <laughs> like,
1: you know? yeah. So,
0: um, so I guess the point being that, yes, it is. The making those categorizations is number one, it's developmentally normal. Number two, it doesn't mean they're racist. And number three is maybe a good opportunity to say, Hey, you're right. That you know, she does look a lot different than you. And it, you know, it's okay to feel shy around somebody that you haven't met before, or maybe who looks different than you. But let's think about the way you guys are alike. Do you both like to do art? You know, like whatever. Yeah. How, however you can kind of draw the lines back to. And if those little conversations happen over and over and over again in those in those younger years, then I think we're getting somewhere.
1: Yeah, that's um, – I'm really glad you brought that book up, and we will link to that um, in the mm-hmm. show notes at themomhour.com because I think that having that really like – Sort of neutral, dispassionate scientific analysis of it can help us kind of get over ourselves a little bit and and also you know it kind of just to go like you know you said why white people don't talk about this with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why white people don't talk about it at all, right? I mean there's a sense of sort of like guilt, mm-hmm. awkwardness, not wanting to say the wrong thing. and I think what I'm kind of realizing is, sometimes I probably will say the wrong thing. I could be saying Mm -hmm. the wrong thing right now. I could have said the wrong Mm -hmm. thing for the last 20 minutes, but like Mm -hmm. the only way that I can fix it Mm -hmm. is to say it and Mm -hmm. not saying anything at all is, is not helpful. So Mm -hmm. there's one thing to talk about it. Now it's another thing to actually try to structure your life in a way that involves more diversity, includes maybe brings it into your home more. And I think that that's something that really emerged. Um, I think it was Glennon, uh, momastery had a, Facebook, um, post she put up like the day after um, the Charleston shootings happened. And she said, I wish I had a black friend that I could ask to help me with this. I can't remember exactly what her wording was, but she said, I just realized I don't. Hmm. She's like, how did this happen? How did I become almost 40 years old? Hmm. And I have plenty of acquaintances, but how is it that I don't have one close black friend that I could ask? Um, and I don't remember exactly what her question was, but something. And I thought, that's a really good point. And I think that that's, you know because a lot of us are still inside that preschooler. It's Mm -hmm. not that we don't want to be around people who look different from us, but I, some, some, there's sometimes an awkwardness. There's Mm -hmm. a feeling like they belong to that club and I don't know how Mm -hmm. to be part of that club. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it brings back all those like junior high insecurities Mm -hmm. kind of. And also sometimes we just don't have to, we self segregate. So we don't have to be, you know, we don't have to, if we don't go out of our way, um, it just doesn't happen. So here's an example of something that I thought was really quite cool that happened this year. So I was a co-director of listen to your mother. Mm -hmm. And I think we talked about that a few episodes ago. Um, so it's a staged reading every year and it's kind of like if anyone's heard of the vagina monologues, it's kind of like that, except it's PG rated and Mm -hmm. it's about motherhood. So people come in and read their essays about motherhood and you put it together in a show and we had 13 people who were coming from our area, which I described before as Mm -hmm. being extremely, extremely, um, segregated. And this year they had really started this movement or maybe within the last couple of years to make the shows more diverse. Because I think what was happening is that mostly white women were directing mm-hmm. and then they were reaching out to their social circles, which were mostly other white women. Mm-hmm. And so what was ending up happening is their you know, spheres of influence were just bringing in a lot of other white women. Sure. And so it just wasn't branching out. So they really made an initiative to try to have more diversity of voices. So, um, through, so, Our my co-director or my producer, Kim and I, and our other co-director, Beth, um, who was black ended up having, she kind of told us like the way you guys are trying to get women in here is not going to bring like my people, Mm. like people from my community are not going to come. If you just post something about auditions, you have to like, you have to reach out. You have to go to, you know, where people are and you have to make it comfortable. And, you know, and her point was sort of like, why, would these women who don't feel comfortable necessarily in this setting, say it's like mm-hmm. you know, a little boutique in St. Joe or mm-hmm. whatever, come over here and do this. Like mm-hmm. what you have to go, you have to really try hard and it's not. And so we did, we tried really hard mm-hmm. and if the show ended up being about, about 50% white. I think maybe one or two Latinas and the rest were black. So it was very diverse. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome because I met people who I had something in common with. They were all writers Mm -hmm. that I, who looked completely different from me, Mm -hmm. who I otherwise never would have met. But Mm -hmm. it just gave me this kind of view that you can't just sit back and say like, You know, Oh, my kid doesn't have any friends who look different. Um, Gosh, that's too bad because it might be that they just don't have friends in their school who look that different depending on where they go to school. Or it might be that they feel still feel uncomfortable and you might need to be the one that sets up the play date or reaches out to the other parent or whatever it is. We're also in our little boxes, you know? And, um, I don't think it's fair. Like I I'm involved with the community theater and there was some question about the fact that it's very white and, Mm -hmm. you know, someone said, well, I mean, the auditions are always open. Anyone can go, but you can't expect people Mm -hmm. who don't feel comfortable in a situation to put themselves out there as a group. Like I Mm -hmm. think that there just needs to be more outreach. So Anyway, bringing that down to like more of the home level and mm-hmm. the kid level, I think sometimes we have to try a lot harder because mm-hmm. otherwise it maybe just won't naturally happen. They won't naturally just make friends with kids who look different for a variety of reasons that might have nothing to do with them wanting to or not wanting to or the other kid wanting to or not wanting to. And right. Does that make sense? I feel like that was a very rambly yes. way of saying we have to try harder. No, but, that's
0: okay. Yeah. Where I rambled before that <laughs> and no, that made, that made complete sense. Um, we decided I'm,
1: we're going to call this like two white ladies talking awkwardly about race. I think yes. we have to go. And we thank you for that. listening because <laughs> we
0: think it's important and we don't know if we're doing it right. right. So please listen to our rambling. No, um, no, it, it made complete sense. Um, and I was actually thinking again about nurture shock because I reread this chapter um, and what you were saying about um, kind of finding, finding your groups, even when technically you are near and around people of other ethnicities and races. And that's the, the other kind of theory that they debunked is called the diverse environment theory which is if you put kids and teenagers and this one went all the way through high school in a diverse environment that that is that they that it will naturally happen and of course the opposite is true they found that the the more diverse the high school the more ingrouping that there, that there is right so yeah. if it's like 60 40 10 you know like a good mix of Different ethnicities and, and good minority representation that the kids stick together with people who look like them even more. Yeah, I could totally um, see, and that. that's like what you're saying with kind of the. Um, yeah, so I had another thought on that as well, but it has it has left it has my mind. <laughs> um, oh, I think I think just that um, if you do going back to Glennon's comment and and needing to try harder with our kids. And I think the other piece of that is if you find yourself in a time of life or living in a part of the country where there just isn't a lot of um, diversity in your friendships and your relationships, that has nothing to do with having the important conversations with your kids about race. So even if, so it's kind of like two different things that the conversations and the explicit conversations, I mean, I think what we've tried to say or what I've tried to say point blank to my kids is it is never, ever, ever okay to make someone feel bad or make them feel not as good as you because of the color of their skin. I mean, that's kind of like the kindergarten level racism pep talk that I've given my kids. And I've said that, you know, more than once, it is never, ever, ever okay to make someone feel bad because of the way they look or their skin being a different color, period. And if, Someone else is doing it. It's important and it needs to stop and somebody needs to know. Um, so those conversations can happen whether, whether your kids are, have, you know, close friendships with people of other races or not, I guess is my point.
1: Yeah, that's very, very true. I think, and, and I think, I think having the personal connection with kids of a different race just makes it sometimes Absolutely. easier to talk about. It, Absolutely. It personalizes it more. Absolutely, um, but again, it doesn't, yeah, it's not like a requirement. Um, not a requirement for that one thing I have noticed and someone um I've been just reading like I've actually been pretty quiet on Facebook over the last couple weeks because I've been doing so much reading I've really just Mm -hmm. kind of sat back and let other people have this conversation and I've just watched and Mm -hmm. so I think it was Kelly Wickham from Mocha Mama Mm -hmm. Mama and I'm not 100% sure but I'm gonna she says a lot of smart stuff about race Mm -hmm. um and I want to say it was maybe her said that you know one of the things that they have found is that white people spend hardly any time in a day talking about race, mm-hmm. and for people of color, they they talk about race all the time because it shapes it so shapes their mm-hmm. reality um, and experiences in life. And being part of a minority group, you are all constantly dealing with the fact that you're not, you know, you're in the minority. Well, us in the majority are sort of just comfortably sitting there, like bebopping along, not really noticing because here we are doing it. So what I've to to kind of add on to that. I really noticed that some of the um, black adult friends I've made, you know, via, like, listen to your mother and things like that are Mm -hmm. really open to talking about things. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just didn't want to. I was really Mm -hmm. afraid to kind of bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I didn't want them to think that when I looked at them, I was thinking about race. Right. But it's like the elephant in the room. Right. Everybody's already thinking about it. Right. You know, it's like they're already thinking about it. Right. It's kind of like what you said earlier with preschoolers. They all know they look different. Right. And it's that it's that trying to make it seem like something's not there that's Mm -hmm. there that just makes it worse.
0: Okay, Megan, well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night.
1: Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Um, Another thing that, you know, that I've seen kind of talked about um, a lot in the black community is like, there's a weariness about having to kind of tell us how it is all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, I don't want, you know, they don't necessarily want to be the person that you go to to ask, like, Mm -hmm. how to do something better uh, or how they feel about X, Y, and Z. Right. No one wants to be the token black friend. Right. Exactly. No one wants that. But I, I think there's a balance that if you're not asking someone to do all the work for you and Mm -hmm. you want to talk about something, I found there's a lot of welcomingness Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not, again, if your heart's in the right place, um, it's something everyone's already thinking about anyway. Mm -hmm. It's just that we don't say we're thinking about it because Mm -hmm. we don't, like you said, want, we want to appear colorblind, Mm -hmm. which is just so (laughs) silly. It's so (laughs) silly. Mm -hmm. So one of the other things that I have talked, now this is more of the high school level. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know that little kids, are equipped to really understand this just yet. Um, and something I talked about in my post was this idea of white privilege. And I remember reading, like, I, there was this essay that was very popular when I was in college. And I'm sure that you've probably seen it. Um, it was like unpacking the backpack of white privilege or something. Mm, sounds and, familiar. Yeah, I think it was written like in the you know, 70s or 80s. And it became one of those things that ended up in a million textbooks. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I read it when I was broke and living in this crappy little apartment and working as a waitress and going to college and had a baby and I think another one on the way and I read it and the, and I also grew up in a very conservative household so where <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to dig too deep into this but it's just it's interesting to me how race and and um, politics often go hand in hand mm-hmm. in the way that you're allowed mm-hmm. to talk about stuff mm-hmm. so I rankled you know I'm mm-hmm. I grew up in this individualist household where it was like you yourself up by your bootstraps Mm -hmm. and a lot of that's still with me today I mean I'm still I still have a lot of those sensibilities about the world Um, but so when I read that I was like oh you know right that doesn't even make sense I'm not privileged Mm -hmm. and I really that really kind of stood with stuck with me for a few years and then I don't remember what I read um, that kind of made me think about it differently but it was basically like you know you you might never see Young black men getting hassled by the cops at a rate of, you know, 75% Mm -hmm. more than young white men, or or the traffic stops, or you're never going to see that because you're not living it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the fact that you don't even have to think about it, I mean, I can drive around and not worry Mm -hmm. about getting pulled over. I haven't been Mm -hmm. pulled over in 15 years. Or your teenage boys, you know. Yeah, and I, yeah, or them, or like things, just things that I never, I don't really have to worry about going into a store and being trailed around. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just never have to think about it. Um, All those things I never have to think about our privilege, even Mm -hmm. though I still work hard, it's not like I don't deserve what I have or whatever. It's not that. It's just, I never have to think about those things. And that is a privilege that Mm -hmm. I live with. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask for it. I don't Mm -hmm. have to feel guilty about it. It just, it exists. And and I think the more that you think about that, the more you kind of can't deny it. And that's a really easy thing I have found to talk to teenagers about because Mm -hmm. they can understand how The world works, and if you don't have to set it up like this is something you have to feel really guilty about or something right on purpose, right. it's more like this is just the way the world is, absolutely. And they understand, I feel like you know, um, preteens and teenagers are mm-hmm. really wired to see the world's injustices, like they're mm-hmm. very, very uh, yes. tuned into fair yes. and not fair. And when you yes. point out something that's not fair, they get it, and I think then that that's a great of, point, yeah. And then and that just sort of I think that even starts maybe eight and nine when kids Mm -hmm. start to notice like he got, you know, when you have a pack of gum and they're figuring out which sibling got the most pieces out of the pack of gum. It's like they're, they're, they're already wired to look at the world that way. Right. And I found that to be a really good stepping point for just saying how things really are. And I just don't think that we can deny that that's how things are. Um, I guess the question is then how do we deal with it? And that could be something we, you know, debate all day long and I don't have solutions, frankly, (laughs) but (laughs) we have to start having the conversation to even think about the next thing.
0: Well, um, I I feel awkward I keep coming back to the book, I swear, but it's just because I just read it. So things that you're telling me um, just are reminding me, but um, you know, we're all trying to raise kids who are empathetic and that's another word that gets, when you read about, you know, child development and raising kind of emotionally intelligent kids, empathy is kind of like one of those core skills. So obviously a lot of this comes down to empathy. I was thinking about when you're saying talking to teenagers and, and even older kids who have that sense of injustice, and you're totally right, that is, that's why you have like teens and preteens who like are activists, you know, like take yeah. up a cause. And um, But starting even younger with empathy, one of the studies that they did was um, in schools that were teaching about Martin Luther King, and to some of the kids they read about Martin Luther King and what he did and his life. And to another group, they included age-appropriate explanations of what had brought all of this to be, the injustice basically, you know, and without kind of skipping over that and getting right to I have a dream and passing of the civil rights laws and all of that. And there was a significant difference in kind of the playground empathy and the, um, how kids interacted with kids of other races with the kids who were given that real story about that injustice. That's what reminded me of it. And I think in the study, those kids were slightly older, third grade maybe, where they were, you know, able. But that's, I mean, it just brings up another good point that when we feel awkward about something or when it feels too ugly, you know, we as adults, we have accumulation of a lot of this information, Charleston and Ferguson, and just these just unspeakably horrible things. And I think sometimes then... We want to protect our young kids and even our maybe middle youngish kids from some of that, and again, it goes back to then we say nothing right but and nothing is no longer a viable option as we've it's discussed. Not. yeah, but I thought that study was interesting because that by by glazing over the injustice, the historical injustice or what's happening right now, um, we're not giving them the chance to be empathetic because they they have not learned that this was and is a reality. Did that yeah, make sense at yeah, all? Yeah,
1: totally. And what something that popped into my head when you were talking is often it's treated like history that happened yeah, and right. then they passed the Civil Rights Act and now it's... Right. Art. And I think that all these... New, I think the real benefit to social media. I mean, there's a, we've talked about the downsides, yeah. but I think the benefit is that now there's a place for these stories to take root and grow into something bigger than they would mm-hmm. have 10 years ago where, you know, it would have been a blip. I, I never watched the nightly news. I mean, that was never really a thing. So for me, I might've glazed over, I might've scanned a, a newspaper and seen a mm-hmm. headline and been like, Oh, that's too bad. And then moved on. But now I feel like I'm really immersed in these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to whatever degree I want to be. And sometimes it's inescapable. You can't like, mm-hmm. you know, can I get a break from this? No, you can't. It's in your face. It's going to be mm-hmm. in your face. And I think what that's having the effect of is making it really clear. This is not history. I and mean, this is mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. happening today and maybe not in the same way, but it's still happening. And I think that that's a real benefit of social media and has definitely inspired this conversation that we're having right now mm-hmm. and the post that I wrote last week. And I think You know what we're doing right now is probably happening in many, Mm -hmm. many different mediums. um, Yeah, all over.
0: No, I feel like that's just something I've seen. You know what I want to say too about social media, and we talked about this in episode. What was it? Three, two, or three? We'll link to it about talking about using social media. But if you're, if listeners, if you're listening to us, and are not seeing some of these discussions and um, exchanges, or if you're not a social media user at all, um, one of the things that can happen, I think, is the news media is so frustrating sometimes yes. with either oversimplification or just fighting, dumb yep. fighting. And um, hopefully, I think for my, in my social media feed, most of that is weeded out, and I'm seeing the things you are seeing, which is more thoughtful discourse, but you can take an active role in the media you consume, whether it's if it's shut off the CNN or the Fox News or the MSNBC or whatever it is that I, I cannot and it's not for political reasons. I just, it feels so oversimplified and, and overproduced. And, overproduced is a really um, good way to put it. And, 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 and it's, it's so sort of like they're
1: drumming up. You know, it's kind of like when I watched, um, sorry to interrupt you, but I was no, thinking that okay. like yeah. there was that plane crash last month or two months ago um, under mysterious circumstances. I don't remember which one it was. And I was at the gym, so the news happened to be on, and I was cracking up because they didn't know anything. Right. And so oh, they had gosh. this guy come on, like this pilot, you know, who was like a retired pilot. And then they had this yeah. other aviation expert and the two of them were just speculating and they were right. fighting. They were arguing yeah. Yeah. with yeah. each other's speculations yeah. about something they had absolute I mean, the, the plane crash was like an hour old right. and they're they're like fighting. <laughs> and I thought this is what happens when they have to fill 24 hours of programming right. and they have nothing to say. Yep. You absolutely. Know, it's like create and it the logo and wanna, the music and yeah. bring on the experts. And it
0: can make you, at least it makes me want to not, not find out even anything about it, right. which is not yes. really the right, <laughs> the right no, response. That totally makes agree. me want to crawl into a hole. So I guess the message to listeners out there too, depending on what kind of media you consume or how active you are on social media, is that there is good stuff out there, and if it's not naturally coming to you, you can probably find it fairly easily. Whether it's just going to you know a newspaper's website and reading an editorial, and if you don't like that, you know looking somewhere else or you know finding some blogs that. That instead of just shutting it all off, which sometimes is very tempting, that it is worth it to, to start reading the things that are
1: thoughtfully done. I totally
0: um, agree. And I, I don't mean to call out the news media, but I do mean to well, call out the news media let's because. they totally
1: call it the news media. It's, it, they can be very ridiculous at times. Yeah. So, yeah. And, it's, um,
0: and even then, if you're like me who doesn't watch the news, I just watch John, John Stewart make fun of the news. But even that makes me mad, you know, because, because like just to see that this is how people are getting their information and yeah. that we're spending so much time fighting about these things. So yeah. I guess the point is it may be worth finding a conversation, whether it's a real conversation or good stuff to read and don't give up because the, you know, what's bombarded at us is yes. so ugly and divisive.
1: I think that sometimes too, like your, your Facebook following can start to feel a little bit like an echo chamber. And in my case, it's actually great because just because of the fact that I'm friends with people who are in my family, people who went to my small high school in rural rural Michigan, people who are local and people who live completely different places Mm -hmm. because of blogging. So I have this really diverse group of Facebook friends and not everyone has that. So Mm -hmm. when you don't have that, you sometimes can feel like you're just reading the same thing over and over. And it's in sometimes depending on who you're following, it's you know, doesn't you don't agree with it? Right. It can be very nasty and mean spirited. Right. Um, if you're there and you can't really figure out, you know, around times like this, you can't really quite figure out how to get out of it. Sometimes just silence that one. That one's mm-hmm. too much of a closed circle. Mm-hmm. Go to Twitter and follow a hashtag, even mm-hmm. if you don't ever participate on Twitter, yeah, even if you don't great. ever want to post anything. It's a really good place to follow a hashtag and really find out what. Thoughtful people are saying about it, and of course, there's a lot of noise too. People sure. saying baloney, but you can just skim through and really get mm-hmm. a sense of what's happening. And I f- we should I link. Maybe
0: we can do a little homework and link to yeah. a couple of good oh, hashtags that's, on that's this really issue. Idea. Because if people are intimidated just by the words Twitter and hashtag, which yeah. I know some people <laughs> yeah. are, no, that totally um, sense. That that we'll just we'll just give you a link and you can start scrolling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, just thing. before I forget, oh, oh real ahead, quick,
0: um, cool mom picks our friends Liz I and Kristen. Um, already did a roundup, and they included yep. your blog post, which was so nice, um, of great pieces of writing about Charleston in the last couple of weeks. So we'll link to their roundup, yes. which has a dozen awesome links. And I think um, Kelly Wickham's post is in there, too, that yep. you mentioned. So yes. Thank um, you, Liz and Kristen, for doing yeah, that work thanks. for us. Yeah, nice. thanks.
1: Um, they have nice. And they have a new podcast now we should throw out there, too, it's called Spend. Yeah. So we can yeah, link to Spand. that as well. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. We let them. Yeah. <laughs> we, we like other podcasters. It's fun that people you are doing mean? this now. But, oh, and I was also going to say I really wanted to um, – I forgot to look this up ahead of time, but a post was going around with good books to use to talk – like as a tool for talking oh. to your kids about – race? Because I think now that's the question for me. Like the question is, yeah. you know, we've, we finally got to the point where we know enough is enough. I cannot be mm-hmm. quiet. I cannot gloss this over. And it's not like I've been, it's not like in my home, I've been totally silent. I've definitely done some talking, but not as much as I could have. Mm-hmm. And I'm not as much publicly as I mm-hmm. could have hardly any, really at all. And that's something I'm really working to change. Mm-hmm. But there is that sense. If you're getting, just getting to the point where like the whole colorblind thing, the whole not talking about mm-hmm. it isn't working. Um, I can't let my feeling of awkwardness and embarrassment mm-hmm. about this trump what's right, the right thing mm-hmm. to do anymore, but now what? Mm-hmm. Then I think sometimes that those books are a really good place to start. Yeah, that, I, I
0: agree. Books are a great place to start. And I, I feel like I'm kind of a broken record here, but starting <laughs> younger than you think. That If yes. there's one takeaway from this um, Nurture Shock chapter, it's that the prime ages for forming these opinions um, is basically preschool through like second grade. Not that it's a closed door after that by any means, but that when kids are forming their their hardwired opinions about who they are and what it means and where they fit in in these groups is much younger than you think. So having, and the way I look at it is I figure my kids are going to like start thinking I'm really dumb about, you know, age 9, 10, 11, 12. So. And then you're not going to be able to get through
1: to them as Right. Much so yet. I feel
0: like I, I, I always err on the side of age-appropriate, of course, but of big topics younger than you think, because I don't see a lot of downside if you keep it age-appropriate, nothing that is too scary, not showing them the news, of course, right. but that the topics are not taboo. The, age, the way you make it age-appropriate may be up for debate, but the topics need to, need to start younger than you think. So if you have young kids, and that's another great for that book resource, hopefully there's some on there, we'll look it up, um, and some that are kind of storybook level, too.
1: Yeah, I, I, there's a whole there's a collection going around. We can just okay, yeah, we'll find that and steal it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So okay, so I guess what I, you know, if I really had to sum it up, what our conversation is that kids and adults notice differences. Mm-hmm. They exist. We all know they exist. Um, that where it becomes racism, mm-hmm. as as opposed to just noticing what everybody else in the world notices is when we associate negative traits or Mm -hmm. treat people people. differently Mm -hmm. um, and worse because they look different. Mm -hmm. And that is really just, if you just boil it down to brass tacks, Mm -hmm. that's what makes it so simple. It really, Mm -hmm. it's complicated, but it's also simple Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think just our challenge now is to not be quiet about it Mm -hmm. anymore in our homes or Mm -hmm. out of our homes. And I'm hoping, you know, in our very awkward ramblings that Mm -hmm. if there's any takeaway, Mm -hmm. that that's what it is and that maybe it starts a conversation. Another thing I wanted to mention too, that this really got me thinking about is how welcoming is our space, our Mm -hmm. online digital space, Sarah, Mm -hmm. to people who look Mm -hmm. different, um, Mm -hmm. to moms and maybe dads of color. Like Mm -hmm. what can we do to Mm -hmm. be just more welcoming mm-hmm. and to kind of broaden our horizons mm-hmm. a little bit. And we would love to hear from you, um, whether you are a parent of color or just another, you know, awkward mm-hmm. mi- white mom listening. Mm-hmm. Um, please email us. Hello yeah. at the mom com. We want to hear that. Yeah, that's you. a great idea. Yeah. So, Gosh, is there anything else that you want to throw another plug for Nurture Shock in there?
0: <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> Poe Bronson and Ashley Merriman, you are welcome. I gave your book another a resurgence.
1: We will definitely have that in our show notes at themomhour.com as well as some of the other things that we talked about. Um, yeah, we'll try and
0: let's. I'm going to try and make these show notes really immediate. rich, resource too, okay. because. Um, if you are listening and relating to this, it is possible that you really don't, you know, feel like you don't know what to do next because I think that's the demographic we're appealing to. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so I will, we will try to make those uh, show notes uh, just a list of really good things to read and share and yep. talk about with your kids.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been a this has been a good conversation. I'm glad Absol- we did I'm really glad we did, very, we did it. Yeah. Uh, you know, decided to wade into these waters, and yeah. um, it's not as scary in here it's not that scary just in. it's worth it it's It's worth worth it it. it's worth it absolutely well sarah thanks so much everybody we will be back next week with another episode of the mom hour yep check us out
0: at themomhour.com bye now
1: That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash the mom hour.